What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On the podcast today, we bring on Topher Scott. Uh, if you're in the hockey community, especially any AAA parents, players, uh, you already know about Topher. Um, great guy. Cornell Red through and through. Uh, he runs the Hockey Think Tank. Just an overall great advocate for the game and pushing the, the youth game into the right level. Uh, great experience here recently. Director of Hockey Ops. He's been talking with so many smart people. Uh, I'm really excited to release this one because I think we dive into stuff that he hasn't dove into as much on his own podcast. Uh, so I think we're, we're breaking new ground here. What'd you take away, Dan? Yeah, well, you said it. He's a great advocate. Um, the Hockey Think Tank is an unreal resource for parents and coaches and players to go. Um, so I, I really appreciate everything that um, he and Jeff do uh, on their end. You know, between we, we, we have this in common. We both have siblings with special needs that is we're passionate about, and we're both passionate about the youth hockey scene and, and making it a better place. And so uh, just a really easy guy for me to kind of connect with. Um, never talked to him, you know, in person before today, but a guy that, like you said, is just a, just a, a great resource and person for hockey, uh, not just like locally, but really um, in, in the youth hockey scene in general. So very pleased that we were able to have this chat with Toph. Yeah. And I really enjoyed his spot on Andy Neely and Carter Camper. Uh, Carter Camper has a dear heart, dear spot in my heart being a Cleveland boy, but overall just how they pushed each other, the story he told, and basically learning more from your players than you give to them. So I think there's a lot to be taken away and a lot of cool stuff, again, that he hasn't really touched on on his end. You know, he's been talking about this a lot. Um, I'm really excited to share this with everyone. So, Dan, take it away. Without further ado, our interview with Topher Scott. On the podcast today, we bring on Topher Scott of the Hockey Think Tank, uh, fellow podcaster, all-around great guy. Uh, everyone's been telling me I got to get this guy on. Uh, he's just a big person, uh, especially personality-wise, right? Uh, yeah, that doesn't usually big is not associated with me, but I'll take it anytime I can get it. So as a five foot four person, uh, big, I'll take it. <laughs> big heart, big competitors, whatever it tells me. No one's going to outwork <laughs> Topher. Uh, you know, you try to do the best that you can and, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, gotta, gotta compensate my size for something. So always try to be the most competitive person out there. Well, clearly it's paid off. So uh, obviously I know you and a lot of people are going to know you, but maybe just a, a quick background on, you know, your, your whole hockey journey. Uh, you spent some time in the USHL, hockey director this past year, just uh, a quick 30 second rundown. 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, born and raised in two Ch- minutes. <laughs> 
born and raised in Chicago. Uh, so grew up there, came from two hockey families, both my mom's side and my dad's side were big hockey families. So I was kind of born into it. I uh, was fortunate enough to have some great coaches along the way. Uh, I got to play junior hockey in my hometown in Chicago for the steel. Uh, it seems like a hundred years ago now. Uh, I was fortunate enough to parlay that into playing hockey at, for four years at Cornell University, uh, which was a great experience. Played a couple years of, of minor league pro down in uh, in Texas, and then uh, got right into coaching and uh, was spent a year at Miami of Ohio as a graduate assistant coach with uh, Rico Blasi and his staff there, and, and then eventually got the job at my alma mater back at Cornell um, the next year. So uh, since then, uh, left the college coaching ranks and started the hockey think tank and just trying to provide as much hockey education, um, as we can. And so now we got a website, a podcast, all that good stuff. And, uh, now I am on a podcast here with you and very excited. So hopefully that was an okay kind of two minute rundown of my life in the hockey world. Beautiful. Well, uh, I would say that uh, you've got more control in your hockey career these days than you do with uh, the home life. Uh, daughters will do that to you, running around like crazy. One, one was oh, saying yeah. hi to us before we hopped on. It was absolutely adorable. So oh, yeah. I'm assuming you're she enjoying is, that. Uh, very much so. She is very social. And uh, every time I have a podcast or a call or a meeting with somebody, she has to say hi. And uh, it's, it's very cute. It's very, very funny. Wonderful. Well, let's, let's jump into the hockey. So, you know, you're, you're, you've been an accomplished player for a long time. Uh, I'm curious other than hard work, cause that's always a piece of it. You know, what are some, maybe some strategies that you've parlayed uh, to gain the upper hand while, while you've been on the rink and then some strategies maybe you've deployed now as you've continued to study the game uh, you think really give advantages to players. Um, I, I think the best, players in the world, just from, you know, just talking to people and studying the game and everything like that. I I think they have two things. They have hockey sense and they have a very high passion uh, and compete level for, for the game. And so every time I I talk about hockey development and every time I even think back to my own career as a player, as a coach, and I look at the players I've played with and and players that I've coached um, that always is in the forefront of my mind when it comes to trying to make these kids better. And so if there's ways to increase the passion and competitiveness and players, let's do it. Every drill that we do, everything that we talk about, let's have a sense of that into it. And then when it comes to hockey sense too, you know, when we're designing our drills, when we're designing our practices, when we're talking about hockey, what are ways that we can elevate that in the players that we're affecting? So, um, you know, I think those are just two of the most overused, but under practiced, uh, um, aspects of, of the game. And, uh, and, and I just think that those are what kind of makes the, the best players. Let's dive into that. I think that's really interesting. Um, Hockey IQ, it's such a broad term. What does it mean to you or how do you describe it? Hockey IQ, I think, is just a basic understanding of the game. Um, How can you manipulate space? How can you know where to get to spots on the ice? One of the things that I'll talk to anybody that I can till I'm blue in the face is how important puck support is in the game of hockey. Um, It's it's funny, actually. uh, A friend of mine just sent me a text today. There was a stat because Paul Stastny, uh, who's a friend of ours, he um, is playing in his thousandth game here this week. And there was a stat about him who's in, and I've played with him in a couple different tournaments and things like that. Just one of the smartest players I've ever played with. 
And the stat that was up that he texted me was the amount of um, passes that he has completed in a game, like successful pass rates. And I just think the best players in the world, they know how to pass, they know how to get open, they get to spots where they have the puck more. And so I, for me, hockey IQ, a lot of it is just understanding the game, both from a pattern recognition standpoint, how to make plays in tight areas, tight spaces, um, how to get time and space, how to take time and space away. And I know that's kind of like a long-winded answer to, to your question, but um, hockey IQ can take many different forms and uh, be more than happy to dive into all of that stuff with you. I love talking about it. Hockey IQ podcast. How can we not? <laughs> there so, you go. I'm a big fan of finding ways to create space and, and I take a lot of my inspiration um, and I kind of picked this sport up late in life, uh, soccer, like ghost runs, you know, you're, you're not exactly running in hope to get the puck or get the ball, <clears throat> but to take a defender with you kind of like F2 hard to the net, you know, what are some of your favorite ways and maybe some things that you've taken from other sports to help create that space, create that puck support that you're talking about? It's funny. Like, I talk about this guy a lot, but I had a Russian coach when I was growing up for three years and he had one of the biggest effects on me. And one of the games that we used to play actually on the ice was handball. So we'd take a soccer ball, we'd drop our sticks and we would basically play soccer with our hands. And it was all about pass and get open, pass and get open, pass and get open, pass and get open. And I think with that, it was such an unstructured game that you really learned because you didn't have to execute the skills of hockey. All you had to do was execute the skills of throwing a ball and catching it, which is a lot easier than, than catching and, and passing a hockey puck. So you just kind of had to learn how to figure out if I look this way, the defender's probably going to go that way. And then maybe boom, I can go the other way and pass the ball over that way. So he was talking about what we call deception 20 years ago. So you can create space through your eyes and where you look and through like, he was big on fakes. He was huge on fakes. So when we were doing even like the isolated skills around cones, like you had to throw your entire head and your entire body one way before going the other way, because that's going to tell the defenseman a story that, Hey, I'm going this way. Oop, boop, nope. I'm going the other way. Um, you know, so handball was a big one for us because you didn't have to worry about executing the skills of hockey. You were just passing through catching a ball and, and you really can manipulate space and just kind of figure it out and learn because it was a very unstructured game, which is a great way to teach uh, and learn how to get space. And, and did you guys do that on the ice or is that off? The, was there like an off ice component that he had? We did both, but we did it. I would probably every week we played handball, three on three handball across the ice. Um, and we loved it. <laughs> we really enjoyed playing it. And, uh, I think it taught us a lot. So it was, it was really cool. A triple A program playing handball instead of practicing ice hockey. Um, I'm curious how many hockey directors across the nation or the world would really allow that these days. It seems like it gets more and more serious. Um, and I remember playing freeze tag once with my team at a high school level. And some of the kids were like, why are we playing tag? You know, this is high school hockey when you're doing power play and PK. I mean, what are some, some of your thoughts on that kind of stuff? Tag's another one. Like tag's another one. I mean, I think there was a, a social media post that came out right around the world juniors time where team USA was, they won the gold medal and they showed a practice and they were playing tag before practice or maybe after practice. I don't know. 
Um, and it's just, again, another way to figure out body movements. It's, it's another way to figure out the quote unquote deception side of the game. Hey, I'm going to fake going this way and, and go another way. You're working on your footwork. You're working on acceleration, deceleration. Um, so any way you can find fun ways to teach some kind of aspect of the game, um, I, I think is, is a huge value add for anybody. And that's, you know, pro hockey all the way down to mites yeah and i just love something you can take that's just fun and entertaining and enjoyable and apply that to a practice like it doesn't have to be serious all the time like if you look at the teams that suddenly have a boost and perform it always seems like it's the teams that are finally having fun it seems like uh i mean the sabers they get a lot of crap this year but at the end of the year they finally you know strung a few wins together and we're actually performing at an acceptable level for uh the fan base as much as you can without jack eichel so I, I couldn't agree more um in that aspect so this russian coach is he coming from a, a strong school like you know part of the red army or, or how did he come to chicago and work with you guys yeah, he was he was a legitimate disciple of Anatoly Tarasov, who's kind of like the father of Russian hockey and and coached all those teams when the Red Army was a legitimate powerhouse. And I would encourage anybody, if you can, if you can find some resources online on the Google machine about Anatoly Tarasov, um, he's one of the smartest hockey minds to ever come across our, our sport. And so he went to Tarasov school of hockey. I'm not entirely sure how he got over here. Um, I think he might've came over here with a Russian team and then just stayed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he was phenomenal. He was absolutely phenomenal. And, and I learned so much from him. Our team that year, we won the national championship, our band of major year. We had, I think we, it ended up being 11 or 12 out of our 15 or 16 guys that either played division one or played in the OHL. Um, and I think we had three kids go on to the NTDP. So like it was, it was incredible. It was an absolute masterclass on hockey. And it's so funny now talking hockey with people, hearing all of these things like deception, bring the puck to the middle um, when you're attacking in, in, in a rush and think like we were doing that 20 years ago. And so it's just, uh, it was a really cool experience. And I, I attribute a lot of my success as a hockey player to him. That's incredible. Actually, I was, um, I forget, maybe I was listening to your podcast and I think I, I totally stole one of his favorite drills and you probably remember this better than I do, but, uh, basically you get blue line in everyone's in there and then you throw a puck for every two to three players. So they all have to like fight for a very limited amount of pucks. You can one, see the desire and two, uh, understand puck protection while you have multiple threats coming at you. It's not just like a one-on-one, -on -one, keep it away, put the puck or someone on your butt. Like you can do more deception. We played so much keep away that year. Like I can't even begin to tell you how much keep away we played. Literally every practice we played some sort of keep away, whether it was four guys in one puck, whether it was just two guys to one puck, um, finding creative ways to do it. But yeah, he was big on like, don't give the puck away. Like you have to figure out a way to keep the puck. And we would do two on three, keep away. We would do two on four, keep yeah, just so many different ways that you can do it. And uh, I mean, it's a big part of the game. You talk about puck possession. That's another buzzword in the game today. Everybody wants to have the puck more than the other team. Um, and like that is he he taught us a lot about that we weren't allowed to dump pucks in even if there was no play at the blue line we had to bring it back kind of like old russian style hockey um and and yeah it was a it was a fun way to play and and uh learned a lot
You know, Marty St. Louis said the exact same thing. He's like, I, I did not let my kids ever dump the puck. Like that was his, a big thing for him. So I'm, I'm glad that that's through the ages. And obviously you've taken a lot from many different inspiration sources, your own experience, coaching, um, and now being a hockey director. And, and now you're heading back to Chicago here. But uh, I'm curious, you've had all these smart minds. You know, what have you distilled from them? And what is now for you, the big aspects and maybe not so much from a culture standpoint, because I feel like that gets overtalked, underutilized, but like very specific, like skills, tactics, techniques, you know, what are the big things that you believe in? Oh man, we can go a ton of different ways on, on this one. Um, Hockey is a game about when you are on offense trying to create time and space and when you're on defense trying to take away time and space. And so we talk a lot about, okay, when you're on offense, how can we create it as a player without the puck? What can you do to provide support so the person with the puck can have time and space or you can be in a spot where when you get the puck, you have it. And then defensively, what can you do um, to take away time and space from the other team. And so a lot of my conversations recently have been a lot about just simply time and space. I think that's a huge one. So you're playing defense. Um, there's so many ways to play that, right? Cause you got the big boys. You just want to throw the body around hit and stick. Then you got the small guys, maybe you're more modern day, you know, offensive angling, things like that. You know, what are maybe some tactics on the defensive side of the game that you think are important? Um, and I would say if, if, we, if you have to single it down, don't think defensemen, think centermen and wingers. Like, like how can they play better defense um, specifically? Because I feel like they get overlooked. Everyone talks about the defense, but not so much the forwards playing D. Stick pressure and angles. I think stick pressure and angles when it comes to playing defensively for any player is huge and again it goes back to when you have good stick pressure stick on the ice you force players to go where you want them to go um and then you 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 have your stick on the ice to be able to create those turnovers that that's everything when it comes to hockey um and and you have to play towards a defensive structure um especially at the older ages so you have to have some semblance of team play and people being where they're supposed to be and and doing their jobs but when it comes to just a simple habit just having your stick on the ice and and being able to angle i think those are uh those are like the most important things so you were past first player i hear um shooting was not one of your specialties so uh, is that come from your family roots of being unselfish? I mean, obviously you're a very unselfish person now trying to spread the good word into the game and we love your, your stuff. Um, where, where does the pass first come? I mean, I I'm with you. I, I passed multiple times on uh two one Oh empty net rushes. So I, I feel you, but, uh, that was installed from my father saying, Hey, look, Gretzky was able to get so many points because you get two assists. You can only get one goal. You know, think about passing more often. You know, what was it for you? Honestly, I, I don't really know. I just, I loved passing the puck. I loved being the person getting the assist. And maybe it's just, uh, um, you know, I was never physically more gifted than anybody else. I was always the, the smallest player on the ice for the most part. So I had to, I could never just take the puck and, you know, beat people one-on-one all the time. I had to think it out a little bit more. Maybe, maybe that's a, a reason why, but I, I always just, uh, 
I loved being the assist guy. I loved playing with guys that, that love to score. Um, and I think they complemented each other pretty well. I, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about, you know, for those of us who maybe for those of us in the audience who didn't listen to your most recent podcast about um, your experience this past year as a hockey director in Rochester um, or was it Syracuse? Syracuse? Syracuse. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Um, maybe just like a quick background on, on the goods, the bads and everything in between. Yeah, it was a great learning experience, to be honest. Like, uh, it's a, one thing I talk to people a lot about is like, you don't really know what the job entails until you're really doing it. And being a hockey director is different for every organization based on your responsibilities, based on where you live, based on what type of organization you're in. So it was really a, a learning curve and a job on the go. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I talked a lot about on the podcast that we did was just kind of learning that um, your way isn't the only way, you know, I think there's a lot of um, people in youth hockey that um, just think that their way is the only way. It's the only way to develop kids. I'm right. You're wrong. It's very binary, very polarizing. And so I talked a lot about me like getting upset when people would be doing things differently than me. But then when you sit and you talk to people and you get to know what they're doing, um, you know, maybe they just have a different idea of what hockey development is and what's best for the kids. So rather than, you know, just talk about what other people are doing wrong and what you're doing, right. Just try to try to learn from what the other people are doing <laughs> and try to team up at, at some point and, and things like that. So that was one of the things that I learned. Um, another thing that I learned is just, I think, um, preparation is such an important thing. Uh, I think having a plan, but also then putting structures in place to execute on those plans. I think that's massively important. And so, um, yeah, for me, it was a great learning experience. It was, it was great to kind of talk it out with Jeff on the last episode that we did. And, and hopefully people can take some of the experiences that I had, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I think there were some things that we did pretty well. I think there's some things we didn't do very well. And there's a lot that we learned along the process. So hopefully they can take some of the experiences that we had to, to use in their, their world in youth hockey too. Yeah, well said. And I definitely took something from that. Uh, I think we both, we share a love for the youth hockey, uh, you know, experience. And I, I think, I think like you said, and you said on the podcast too, that, you know, 99% of people are in this for the right reason. Um, it's just a shame sometimes that it's not a hundred. Um, I want to ask you, this is a little bit more specific. Um, so I just literally like an hour ago, got off the phone with a parent of a kid I used to coach who was among the last cuts, a 1500 AAA team here locally. And we were kind of like bemoaning the state of, um, I don't know the state of hockey. He, he deserved maybe not to make the team, whether he is like, not what I'm going after here. Like, that's not the point he could have, he could have not have. Um, what, what would you tell a 15 year old who feels like they are out of options um, already? Do you know what I mean by that? Like there's such a race, as you know, to like be on the top team at this age or whatever. Like what, what would you say to a kid at that point? I think there's two things. One is why are you playing hockey? <laughs> is it like, do you have to make the NHL? Like, is that so important to you? And is that the only reason why you play? 
because very few kids end up playing at the highest levels of hockey. So just take a step off the brakes and, and just enjoy the game. And if you do that, then you're going to get better. And so just exhale. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing I would say is if your dream is to play in the NHL, you look at the story of just what happened last night with Daniel Walcott. Um, Daniel Walcott, who is somebody that I know, and his dad actually used to work at the rink right in my hometown. And so I was on the ice with Danny when he was like five years old. So I know him a little bit and he's playing in Syracuse in the AHL right now. So I've seen him around the rinks up here too. You know, he played ACHA club hockey and then played his first NHL game. And if you ask anybody why Danny Walcott made the NHL, it was because he's a great teammate and he worked harder than everybody else. Like that's why. And so Mm -hmm. 99% of people's paths to the highest levels of hockey, like it's not a straight line. There's a lot of ups and downs that go with it. It's what you do, especially in those down times when things aren't going your way, that's going to determine where you go. So as a 15 year old, um, you have a choice. If you get cut from a team, you have a choice. You can choose to mope about it and say it was politics or say, whatever, make whatever excuse you want to, or you can say, okay, maybe I'm just not good enough right now. And I got to prove to everybody else that I'm going to work harder than everybody else. And I'm going to get better. So, you know, what's your, why, why are you playing? And then also, Hey, like everybody has a different path. And so most people's paths are the long way. (laughs) Just get better. Just get better. Exactly. That's exactly right. And uh, Daniel Walcott. So Greg and I are both ACHA alumni. So it was a proud day when he made it to the NHL. A man, a man for the people, you know, absolute legend. Now he's an, you know what? And and if you knew him, you'd kind of understand why he's just a phenomenal kid. Like he was an assistant coach in our organization volunteer wise with our O8s this year just because he, he was friends with the head coach and he just loved to be around the hockey rink. And so you see him like, he's going to be a coach one day. There's no question in my mind, he is going to coach hockey at whatever level that he wants to because of his enthusiasm for the game and how much he loves to teach. And so like, there's no substitute for those things. And uh, you just, you feel awesome for kids like that. Love that. Well, talking about guys that get better and helping players get better. um, I believe that you coached uh, two players that I think are some of the finest NCAA players of all time. uh, Andy Mealy and Carter Camper. Uh, One Carter Camper's Cleveland kid, So uh, have to give him a shout out there, but I believe that you were pretty instrumental for my research and helping Andy Mealy go from here to the best player in college hockey, you know, what was that relationship like and and how did you help him? And and what was the situation to get him to the Hobie Baker? Well, it's funny that you say that because I would say it's the opposite. Like Andy Mealy had probably 10 times the effect on me as a coach than I had on him as a player. Um, He had such a thirst to get better. It was literally insane. And so I was the graduate assistant coach the year that, that I was there. And I worked a lot with the Fords on skill development type stuff. And he would literally, like, I would have to go to class after practice. I was in a grad program and he'd be like, you're not going to class. You're staying out here and you're working on skills with me. And, and so we developed a relationship and a trust where, 
Um, you know, I absolutely loved working with him because of the passion that he brought to the game. And honestly, that's probably why he got better. <laughs> it's because I was so excited to work with him um, that I, I just couldn't wait for those times during practice when it was just the two of us or there three or four. And it, the, the effect that he had on the team that year was incredible because at first it was just kind of the two of us. And then like, you just saw him just getting so much better. And then all of a sudden there's three people, there's more people that want to come and do some of the skill stuff at the end of practice. And it ended up being a, a thing where like everybody wanted to do it now. Um, so we lost a little bit of that one-on-one -on -one time with them, but um, you know, I was just a, a support for him. Uh, I, I provided some drills and, and some insight and, and things like that. But I, I honestly would have a hard time saying that I had a big part in it because it was him. Like it was 95% him. And, uh, it was very, very cool to see. Um, very, very cool to talk about with the players that, that I coach now, um, just, you know, talking about meals and, and his thirst to, to want to get better and, and, uh, just a phenomenal kid, phenomenal player. And Carter was the same way, you know, Carter camper, they're very different people, very different players, but Carter camper, I don't know if I've ever coached somebody who wanted to be the best player on the ice as much as him. Like he wanted to be the best player and he would do whatever it took to do that. And he just thought the game on such a different level as, as everybody else. And he had such this thirst to, to, to provide offense for the team and want to win for the team offensively. And it was really cool to be around him too. So, and, and I would also argue that Andy Mealy doesn't have that year without Carter camper and Carter camper doesn't have that year without Andy Mealy they pushed each other so much. I think it was a healthy competition between the two of them. Like they wanted to be the highest scorer on the team. And, but, but at the same time, it all came within the team structure too. Like those kids wanted to freaking win. And so I, I learned so much that year from being able to work with guys like, like Andy and, and Carter. And, and uh, it was a pleasure to coach them. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I remember watching Carter just play some uh, summer hockey here in Cleveland, and it's amazing how much better he was and how much harder he worked. It's kind of like Crosby, hardest worker, best player. Yeah, yeah, there's no question. Just the, the, the thirst. And Carter's still playing. He's still killing it. Um, and he'll probably play as long as he wants to because he can think the game at a level – that I, I don't know if I've ever coached somebody that thinks the game is as well as he has. So um, yeah, I, I feel very lucky to have been able to coach Andy and Carter that year. Yeah. So when you get players like that, it's almost like they're coaching themselves, you know, there's those that do the, do it themselves and have a thirst and are constantly pushing it. But then there's that second tier, like they're great. They want to be good, but maybe they don't understand how, or they don't have the passion to just kind of do it on themselves. Um, do you find ways to help players kind of coach themselves and be their own best development coach or own best person to push them forward. Yeah. And, and I think that's everything. And I know you guys had Daryl Belfry on, on your podcast before we had Daryl on, on my podcast too. And um, like, he really talks about being a co-teacher, like you have to teach the kids, but the kids are teaching you just as much in, in, because at the end of the day, like it's about the relationship that you have, you can know everything about hockey, but if you can't communicate that clearly and build a relationship with the player, it doesn't matter how much, you know, and, and so finding ways to ask questions rather than telling people what to do, getting into the minds, giving suggestions and, and asking, Hey, what'd you see here instead of, Hey, you should have done this here. 
Um, so just that back and forth with players. Um, sometimes you can lead the players to, to where you want them to go, you know, by asking leading questions. But a lot of times it's, it's just forming that relationship and figuring out what's going on in their head so you can ask the right questions and then ultimately learn from each other about the game. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, is there anything, though, that you took um, from, you know, COVID, not to say it's over, but from the pandemic as something um, that maybe you'll take going forward as like, yeah, actually this, you know, I, I wouldn't have chosen to do this a certain way, but because of the circumstances, we had to do it this way. And I think this is how we're going to do it going forward. Is there anything like that for you? Yeah, there was a big one, actually. So um, we live in New York. And so one of the toughest states when it comes to COVID protocols and stuff, you know, so we had uh, a while during the middle of the season when we knew we weren't going to play games. And so as a coach, you know, you kind of think about your practices. And, and so I started to do just like a lot of isolated skill work, working on skating, working on passing, working on shooting and stuff. And, you know, we would still do some gameplay things and play some small area games and stuff like that. But for, we were doing a lot of isolated skill work. Um, once there was that carrot where we knew we were actually going to start playing again, I started to do a lot more game type situations, um, in practice. And I saw the development of the kids just skyrocket from there. And so I think moving forward, I would go away from a lot more of the isolated skill work and try to incorporate some type of decision, some type of pressure, some type of game-like situation in, in every drill that I do. Even if you're working on an isolated skill, you can still find ways to progress um, to, to doing things where people are going to have to make a decision. So I think that was one of the biggest things that I've learned and, and just seeing how much further along development-wise that the kids on my team were after switching it back um, and, and doing a little bit less of the isolated skill work. It was, uh, it was a cool thing to see. What's maybe your, your thought process as you're preparing for practice? Obviously, preparation's everything. We, we know that for players, coaches, you know, any, any profession. Um, you know, but what is the process to the preparation and how you want to approach a practice? Um, I mean, it depends on a lot of different things, I would say. Uh, what day of the week is practice? And again, your plan of practice is differently at – different levels that, that, yeah, that you're coaching plan practice a little bit differently at the college level versus the youth level. Um, but I, in my practice, as I always want to involve as much competition as I can. Um, so every drill that we do, I'd like to have a score to it, whether it's, you get a point for hitting the net, whether it's, you get a point for every tape to tape pass, or you lose a point for every pass that, uh, that doesn't hit the tape and things like that. So trying to incorporate some of that into it. Um, and, and then, you know, you learn as much as you can, honestly, the best way to answer this question is probably go back to your podcast that you did with Daryl Belfry or go listen to our podcast that we did to Daryl Belfry, because he's a lot better at that than, than I will ever be. And I learned so much from him, um, in, in hearing him talk about providing practice plans. So, you know, he talks about having themes to practice and, and progressing on certain skills and, and things like that. It was just, obviously it was a masterclass in, in how that is. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know everything at like, I think the best advice for anybody that's listening to this is go, go listen to Daryl Belfry talk about it. So, so Tof, I worked for Daryl for five years there uh, up until recently. And uh, he, so I, I've spent some hours on the ice with him and the best advice I could give anybody is to watch that man work or read his book 
or listen to the podcast, you're bang on because like I would be so blessed to just be on the ice for like, it'd be, you know, group one, group two, group three. And every time it was like the same, not the, it wasn't exactly the same every time, but I was like trying to take mental notes. Like, Oh my God, this is like brilliant. I'm like watching a genius work right now. Uh, so yeah, cosign, cosign that. Um, you can find his book there, on our website. Is there if like you need one it. thing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, what, what's one thing that like, cause you know, Greg and I got connected, like we we're both big supporters of Daryl. What's like one thing from your podcast episode from maybe some of our listeners as just like a, a tease to from that podcast that like really stood out for you. Uh, I think my favorite part of the conversation was talking about teaching hockey sense through transition and, and how you can do that. Um, that was something I, I'm a huge believer in transition hockey. I think sports in general is, tr- is all about transition. You're always going from offense to defense or defense to offense, uh, depending on who has the puck. Um, so that one was a really cool one for sure. All right, Toph, really appreciate you coming on. I got one last question for you. Um, and I'll make it a nice big snowball. Uh, and you can take this wherever you feel is best. Um, and then I'll, I'll finish up with one more thing. I want want you to talk on, but, uh, hockey first, um, what are some ways to make people around you better? Uh, surround yourself with great people. Uh, I think oh, let's get specific to hockey. Like how do you make players around you better? How do you play the game to make people better? Um, I, so this is one I learned a lot from Brandon Nerado and Brian Kane. I talked to those guys quite a bit about hockey and it's about pressure adding pressure. Everything that you do in a practice setting should be about pressure. Where's the pressure coming from? How much pressure manipulating pressure as a coach? Um, the game of hockey is done, uh, and plays are made in, in split seconds. Um, and so the more that you can apply pressure to the decision-making of players with the puck or without the puck, I think, uh, I think the better it's something that I learned, you know, I talk about Daryl and I think a lot of people know Daryl from being on podcasts and stuff, but Brian and Brandon, you know, those two have taught me so much about the game. And the one thing that we're talking a lot about right now is, is pressure. So you want to make, you want to make your players better as, as a coach. I think you apply pressure to, uh, to a lot of the drills that you do. Yeah, that's a good answer. Okay. Uh, Last one for me, and again, thanks for your time. Do appreciate it. I'm going to leave this one vague as Greg did, um, but I'm not going to interrupt you no matter what you say, Greg. <laughs> um, if you were youth hockey overlord for a day and you could make one sweeping change to USA, uh, not USA hockey, but to USA hockey's whatever, um, if, if you could make one change to youth hockey in America, what would it be? Oh man, that's, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I'd probably take this in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, I would probably put more of an emphasis and I think USA hockey is doing that a little bit more hockey Canada is too. Um, I would put a lot more emphasis on coaching education. I don't think there's enough of that. Um, and not just coaching education, but, um, hockey director education, parent education. Um, if, if our governing body can find a way to, and it's tough, you know, it's how do you mandate certain things? It's, it's a difficult thing, but, um, again, if, if I got the magic wand and I can do whatever I want, I would, I would put everything I had that day into educating coaches and educating parents. Wonderful answer. Wonderful answer. So, 
Um, even bigger snowball and something I think that really needs to be talked about um, and should be at the forefront uh, is the charity work that you do, um, especially with the charity hockey game that you put on. So I'll, I'll let you take it from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's one of the coolest things that, that I get to do. Um, I've been very fortunate in my life to have awesome parents and awesome family that taught me, um, the importance of giving back and, and not just how much you're helping, um, other people, but how much you're actually growing as a person as you do it. And the kind of perspective that you get when you help people that are less fortunate than you do. Um, I, I have, um, a couple brothers, twin brothers that, that have special needs. So it's a community that I'm very familiar with and, and very involved with. And, um, it's probably one of the most proud accomplishments that I have in, in my life, been able to do some pretty cool things throughout my hockey career, but, um, you know, the initiatives that, that myself and the team of people that, uh, that have helped me put together, we've raised over a million dollars for the special needs community, both here in upstate New York and, and in Chicago. Um, you know, so I, I just think the special needs community and the hockey community is a fantastic marriage because they're very similar, um, in the fact that there's a lot of passionate people. Uh, it's a very selfless community, both of them. And so I get a lot out of it. I've met so many great people throughout it. And, uh, you know, the fact that we can affect some change for some people in need, um, is, is amazing. And then at the same time, um, you know, people that have special needs can teach us more than they could ever, that we could ever teach them, um, their perspective on life and their love for life and, and things like that, I, I think are, they're, they're just wonderful. And so having the opportunity to, to give back to that community, um, you know, something I love to do. Um, and, and the coolest part about it is you get other people involved and, and then they see how cool the special needs community is too. And so they get really into it. And, um, especially when you're dealing with younger kids, you know, you, you go, you go to a school for kids that have special needs and stuff and you bring your players there, or you bring your team there or whatever. And, and it's like, Hey coach, when can we go back? You know, we, we loved it. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge part of, of who I am, my upbringing. Um, and, uh, I, I just, I absolutely love to do it. Wonderful. Well, well, thanks to for uh, letting us in on that and make sure to, to send us the, any kind of link that, uh, people can, can use to donate to that. that. That'd be great. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing it up. It's, uh, it's an awesome opportunity and, and, um, yeah, anytime we can help those who are less fortunate than us, we're, we're pretty lucky with where we're at. And so we can use that platform and you guys are using your platform for, for great things with what you're doing too. So, um, anytime we can use that to give back, it's, uh, it's a special, special thing. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Toe, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you could tell our, uh, our audience where they can find you um, both on Twitter and on online on, on your website. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, pretty much anything hockey think <laughs> the hockey think tank. So the hockey think tank.com um, that's one place to find us. Uh, I'm, I'm very active on social media. So at the hockey think or no at hockey think tank on all the social media stuff, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, all that. Um, and then our podcast is, is the hockey think tank podcast. And uh we're having fun just like you guys doing it. And so I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's fun being on this side of it. 
<laughs> yeah, but thanks so much, guys. Uh, keep up the great work, and, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again at some point. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal, Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at Hockey'sArsenal.com. Uh, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you buttes here next week for a brand new episode.